when we talk about war for talent and helping internal people to grow, the stressful times is the hardest times to really invest into your people. And it is also the biggest challenge for us as leaders to still make time for this. And it takes a lot of discipline on our end to make sure that we still make time for it, that we reflect on whether we are in our stress functions ourselves, to explicitly make time for our people, to let them talk about their aspirational goals, about how they feel, about which skills they want to acquire. Welcome to Product with Banash. I'm Axel, and in this show, I talk to product leaders and experienced operators across Europe and beyond. Together, we'll learn about their craft, how they build successful products, and unpack the frameworks and secrets they've used in delivering growth for their businesses. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Stephanie Liu, who is currently Chief Product Officer at Doodle. Previously, Stephanie was Director of Product and Design at Contentful, and prior to that, worked at PayPal looking at a boarding experience for merchant across the MIA region. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Hi, Axel. I'm doing good. Thanks. It's great to have you here today. Before we go any further, why don't you give us a lightning introduction to you, your background, what you've been up to in the product world? Absolutely. I'm working in software companies for more than 22 years now and officially started to be a product manager in 2011. But I figured out that already in 2008, I've been a product manager. Also, my title was a completely different one. I fell in love immediately with the idea of building great experiences for customers. And since then, I'm relentlessly trying to improve products to make them work for their users. One of my key skills when it comes to building products is my product sense and also my high addiction to building great, high-performing product teams. And that's what I'm doing right now at Doodle as well. I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about this notion of high-performance product teams. This is a topic that I've been really interested in for a few years now and trying to understand what are the dimensions that make for the high performance part of the team, right? What are some of these dimensions you can optimize? How do you address the challenges linked to performance? How do you build an environment where people feel like they can grow and they can give the, the best of themselves at work? So I'm really super curious about this. What has been your experience and how did you come to the point where you said, my specialty or this thing that I want to invest my time in is building high performance teams. I personally was very lucky to get the opportunity to work in high performing teams twice, right? And once you experience how much you can achieve as a team in such an environment, you just want to repeat that over and over again. So I started wondering what is it that helps teams to really become high performing and what do we as managers need to do and to understand in order to help our teams to really become high performing? And if you're looking into the numbers, right, if I would ask managers of companies, like, do you want your teams to be high performing? I promise 100% of them would say, yes, sure. But then if you look into the other side of things, it's pretty clear that almost 75% of all teams are dysfunctional, right? That's at least what a Stanford research said. And 60% of all teams fail to achieve their goals. 
So overall, it seems like no more than 10% of all teams are high performing. If managers want their teams to be high performing and if people want to work in high performing teams, but then only 10% of all teams are high performing, there is obviously a mismatch. So I think it is very interesting to understand all of the levers that we can pull in order to help teams to strive. How did you go about rolling this out? Are you building what you would call a high-performing team at Doodle? I'm using a framework that I developed at Content, which is a hyper-growth startup from Berlin, but not even a startup anymore. So we had already high-performing teams at Contentful. So in order to get more of this, we were looking into the different reasons for them to be high-performing. And we figured out that it is mainly three things that uh, help them to strive. It is people, it is purpose, it is process, and all of that leads to performance. So it's actually, I call it the 4P framework. What is it all about? People, some examples. You can have like the most exciting people uh, in your company if they don't have clear role descriptions, clear ideas of their responsibilities, if they don't have the skills in order to perform at their jobs, if they don't get the right training, if their work environment is too complex so that they have too many duties on their agenda, they can't be successful because they are lacking the key things in order to strike. Then the second dimension, the process dimension, especially in product teams, I figured out that many companies I work with struggle to explain in only a few sentences how they build products in their company. If you ask people, how would you describe how you build products here? You will hear 10, 20, 30 different answers and almost no similarities between answers. But if people can't explain how they build products in five simple sentences, then there is obviously no clear process behind it. If there is no clear process, how would you want to get more of this if it is not scalable because you can't describe. So you need to establish this process as well so people can explain in a few sentences how they build products so that they can repeat their success and learn from it. And then the third dimension is probably the most important one. It's the purpose. We all want to understand why we are going to work like eight hours each day on something, right? If it is just a ticket or something from the backlog, and the individuals in my teams have no idea how this connects to a strategy and yeah. how the strategy connects to a vision and how all of that fits into the whole company landscape. Yeah. Then they feel like the things they are working on are either useless or not moving the needle at all. So for us as leaders, it is very important to understand that we need to close the gap between a vision if there is any. And I've seen more companies without a good vision than companies that have one. And that hurts because our people want to have that strategy and that vision. They want to understand what they are doing. So if we don't close the gap between the team's backlog and the overarching goal, best case, even supported by some success metrics, then teams can't strive because they just try to deliver anything everywhere at the same time without clear focus. And so they can't be successful and they can't become high performing. And only if all of that is really well defined, only if I have people, process and purpose defined and articulated. And if the people in my organization can explain what it is all about, then I can expect my teams to become high performing. 
you talk about so these three dimensions that then lead to performance. So people, purpose, process. What have been some of the challenges you've encountered in optimizing for these three dimensions in at Contentful and then later on at Doodle? I'm guessing the second time around is probably easier than the first time. But what were some of the pitfalls and challenges you experienced and how did you address them? To be honest, we haven't had that many pitfalls, neither at Contentful nor at Doodle. At Contentful, I was creating that framework by observing already high-performing teams. So I just came up with the different dimensions based on what I saw from the people working on the product. At Doodle, the situation was a little different um, because the very special thing about Doodle is that the entire company is just hungry to really build a great product. And they also love the brand and they love the product already. Plus, the teams are really very supportive. Like neither the CEO nor the sales team were ever putting any barriers in front of us because everyone in the whole organization wants to become product-led and everyone in the organization is eager to build a great performance. If this is given, then implementing such a framework and helping people to use what they have already in order to strive is fairly easy, to be honest, and you can also execute quite fast. But I'm also aware that this is really rare. I've seen so many other companies where it would have been almost impossible to implement a similar yeah. framework as fast as I did at Doodle or Contentful just because the basics are missing completely. And it's something to keep in mind. Yeah, there's a few things here. I think one thing that jumps to mind is maturity, right? Does the organization have the right maturity to roll out this kind of, it's almost like trans, it's a, a form of transformation, right? So does the company have the right maturity? And as you say, have you already got the table stakes, right? Are the basics already there? So. What would you say, and I think in particular on the people and process dimensions, because I guess purpose from what we were saying before, if the homework has been done around vision, strategy, how it all rolls into North Star metrics for the business and then product outcomes, that already gives the organization a lot of clarity on why are we here and why are we doing everything we're doing every day, right? But on the people and process dimensions, what are some of the things that need to be there as a prerequisites before try, even trying to think about optimizing for high performance? On the purpose dimension, probably first. Yes, even if all of that is set in stone already, that is a good starting point. Still many companies fail to communicate that over and over again across the organization. Power so of repetition. Also, the power of repetition and also the power of self-reflection, because one of the challenges organizations are facing is that leaders say, it's all clear. Look, we do have a document and we do have a presentation and we presented it in the all hands. We are looking at the dashboards in every regular session. So we're good. Everyone is aware of the vision and the strategy. But then you're asking the people like, do you know what the vision and the strategy is and which target market you're addressing? And they're like, nah. and so there is a communication gap that needs to be closed as well over and over again. Like one of my peers once said, you need to sound like a broken record. And only in this case, you know that you're successful, right? Thanks to Lisa Mo Wagner. And I think that's true. And that's something to keep in mind. 
never assume that vision and strategy and success metrics are clear. Repeat it over and over again to all new joiners in every all hands, try to make space for that. If that's given and really everyone has a clear picture, then it's really about the people and the people dimension, to be honest, because we always assume good intentions, right? All people that work for a certain company work there because they are passionate about what they do. So it's more about the settings under which they operate. So I think one of the things I have seen with many companies where they are struggling is that they don't have clear role descriptions, for example. If I'm not clear what my product manager does or my engineering manager or my design lead, if I don't help them to understand how they collaborate what their area of responsibility is, where they overlap in responsibilities, who is accountable and responsible for certain things, right? Like an easy racy matrix can help solve certain challenges. If I'm very sophisticated, I can even start thinking about complexity maps where I start mapping out my whole product landscape. And then I try to understand who owns which part of the product, of the process, and then help people to understand that. So that's all around role clarity, and that's a massive effort to get that right. And something that leaders should feel responsible for, because the more clarity I give my people in terms of their role, the more I can expect them to deliver results in a very autonomous and self-organizing way. And that's what we all want. So that's that dimension number one. Yeah. Do you feel stuck, not knowing how to tackle a problem, or you're looking for a solution to help your team members grow in their craft? Either way, check out panache.io. Panache works with product leaders to bring expert insights and proven frameworks you can use in your role as a product person. Companies like Atlassian, Content Square, and Miracle all choose Panache to provide the right level of training and coaching to their product teams so they can perform at their best. Whether you're a product leader or an individual contributor, Head to panache.io to get an idea of how we can help you level up today. Check out panache.io. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O. Yeah, from that perspective, would you say there are companies or contexts or environments where you wouldn't even think about having a high-performing team as a goal? Yeah, but is it for everyone? It's a nice aspirational goal for everyone, I would say. But one of the key challenges that I see in many companies is that it looks good on paper, right? We all read all of the famous product books. We all know what product-led organizations are. Somehow all of us, at least when we're working in product, we want to work in product-led organizations. But at the same time, there is one observation I made in a couple of companies if a company is in their comfort zone and they are doing good revenue wise, right? If there is no big market pressure, if they feel like, yeah, we're doing good, but like whether we're improving or not doesn't really matter because we're earning enough money. That's quite usual still in many companies, especially when we have flourishing times, right? Yeah. If that's the case, if the company is in their comfort zone, then my observation is that product-led and high-performing teams looks good on paper, but there will never be enough focus and energy to really make it work because like managers can also lean back and say, everything is working quite okay. Like, why should we invest now? 
let's just keep things going. And that's, that hinders many teams to become high performing. And I would even say that is, that this is the number one reason why so many organizations struggle, especially when their situation is going to change. They probably lose revenue or they fail with their product, but then it's too late to invest into high performing teams and product led organizations. So rather invest early, but companies don't do that because they are in their comfort zone. And then when they get stressed, they want to do it, but they have so many things on their agenda that all of the other priorities are higher priorities. So they will never, ever work on the fundamentals. So we talked about purpose, clarity on vision, strategy, the power of repetition and self-reflection. We talked about people and clarity on their roles and what is expected of them so that they know how they're supposed to contribute. What about process? What are some of the signals you would expect to know that the basics from a process point of view are there or in place? Process is my favorite topic, to be honest, because there, <laughs> it's the only topic that from my perspective, product managers can own themselves, even if their leaders don't feel like vision and strategy and role clarity is the key priority right now. And I think there are many things we can do in order to, to have better processes in order to release faster, better. So what are the key indicators? One thing I do whenever I start in a new company is like really literally asking everybody and their dog, can you describe me in four to five simple sentences how you are building products here? And my observation is that the teams are rarely able to do so. Neither do they know whether they work with hypothesis nor what their success metrics are. They often know whether they work in Scrum or Kanban, but that's not what I mean. I'm not talking about are we using Scrum or Kanban. I'm talking about how do we discovery? How does your definition phase look like? How does your build phase look like? Are you measuring the success after a release or are you just saying, wow, we released, we're done, next feature, let's go. All of these things are things that we can determine fairly easy by looking into how different teams collaborate, who is involved and how do different teams feel involved into the process. Are engineers part of the discovery? Do they even know what designers and product managers are currently discovering? Or are they even discovering at all? Or are they just jumping right into the build phase? Which would be ridiculous, but I think you would agree. Most of the companies still jump right into the build phase. If we're lucky, they probably build a prototype and they test it internally or with a few users on usertesting.com. Justification. And, they, and they can't even tell you which problem they're solving or how they would measure success. So all of that is fairly easy to identify by asking a couple of questions around like, how's the process? Do you discovery? Do you define definition? Do you build phase? And who is involved actually? Who has a stake and who really makes a decision here? And how do you know that one phase is finished and that you are able to move to the next stage? If none of that is clear, one of the things that I would recommend product managers to do is to sit down together with engineering and designers and discuss in a short workshop, like how do we want to collaborate and how do we want to make sure that we are not delivering outputs anymore, but outcome and who needs to be involved when and how. 
even if that's a very rough sketch, like a very short process, very quick collaboration idea, that's better than nothing. Okay, thank you for that. This takes me to my next question, which is at Contentful and Doodle, at points where you've seen this materialize and teams coming together and working in the right way, as you would describe a, a high-performing team does, how do you know you are now at a point where the team is performing at a distinct pace or level? How mm -hmm. do you know that? Maybe number one, and things that we need to be aware of as well, a high-performing team is not performing 100% of the year on a very high level. They probably perform very well on one initiative and then on the next initiative, they don't trade. So we shouldn't expect teams to be high performing all over the time. There is always variances, something to keep in mind. The thing, especially at Doodle, that made me extremely happy was when we introduced three pillars, strategic pillars, in order to help the organization to focus on the key topics we want to work on in the next 12 to 18 months. That is something that I took from Martin Erickson's decision stack, where he works with opportunities. We call them pillars because that's what we did at Contentful as well. So we defined three pillars and we wrote a very long document explaining the background, how we came up with the pillars, what the pillars are all about, how we measure the success of these pillars. And then we shared this first with the exec management. They signed it off. We shared it with the senior management team. They signed it off. And then we shared the whole document with the entire organization and said, you are free to comment on this document and to share your thoughts and to make it yours. And that's actually what happened. I've seen similar successes at Contentful because we've done the same there. And suddenly everyone got the full story. Like some people just wanted to see a quick summary in the all hands. We have done that as well. Other people wanted to read the whole document. And what happened afterwards was to me almost like magic. Also, I knew it, it would happen. It still felt like magic because the team started repeating the names of the pillars. So they started to think in pillars and they were asking for success metrics. They were questioning whether we were setting the right success metrics and if we are really already doing the right things within the pillars. They started to rethink their prioritization and they started to discuss on whether the things they want to work on are really the things that are most important for our users. And this moment in time is the moment where you can say, yeah, it pays off all of the efforts, explaining the decision stack, working on the pillars communicating all of that, taking the team's feedback into consideration in order to not make it a top-down thing, but a bottom-up, top-down collaboration so all of us are moving in the same direction. When suddenly everyone starts talking about it and they make it part of their day-to-day -day decision, that's the magic moment. Yeah, you can see behaviors changing across the organization. And I guess, yeah, that's a good sign that things are moving in the right direction. Thanks for sharing this. Super insightful. You also talked about how one of your areas you're more passionate about is how can you help a team grow? How can you help individuals in the team grow and develop their practice and just become better product people, really? And you talk about this framework of freedom through constraints. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. 
Freedom Through Constraints is a framework that we use at Contentful as well. And our lead agile coach introduced me to it. It is nothing more but a mindset, right? So it is very much part of a coaching mindset where basically you trust your teams to be curious to always deliver the best performance for users and to make the right decisions, right? All of us come to work in order to give their best. And that's the basic assumption in my Freedom Through Constraints framework, where I say like everyone at my company was hired because they bring exactly the skills that we need in order to strive. So that is my basic assumption whenever I work with my teams. And then what I try to understand is that if things are not working, if, for example, we are not delivering the results we expect, if a release takes longer than expected, if a release doesn't show the success metrics or results or feedback we expected, it's not about blaming people. It's rather about understanding how can we take this, learn from it and improve next time. And then it's not me sitting down with the teams and saying, what have you done wrong? And next time it's me who makes the decisions because you made wrong decisions. It's rather us as a team who sit together and we review and we try to understand how can we make the best things here. And in most cases, if teams are not able to strive, people, process and purpose are not in a good shape because if they are I truly believe that people can become high performing and that they can work in an environment where freedom through constraints is a given. And constraints in this case is a clear process, a clear strategy, a clear vision, clear success metrics, clear responsibilities. All of that is constraints, but these constraints are so broad and so wide that within these constraints, teams should be able to make decisions on their own to make the right decisions, to make the right prioritization, because everything they need to know is defined and available so they can really just go out there and make it work. The way I would interpret this is you are given almost the boundaries of how you can have impact within the company, right? These are the constraints and you're giving the teams and the individuals in the teams enough latitude to go and explore how they do that. And I think that's the interesting thing. And it resonates a lot because it reminds me of giving teams a level of autonomy, but also having teams feel empowered to bring some of this change in the organization. That's very inspiring. Thank you. You Going back to the question of helping individuals in the teams grow, how are you tackling this idea that in a lot of organizations out there who, which are growing, more and more organizations are struggling to find this, this big war for talent, right? Everybody's trying to hire the best product talent, but reality is there's not a lot of <laughs> talented product people. There's not a lot of product people, period. I'd be interested to understand how are you tackling this challenge and also how are you keeping people in the teams motivated? How are you helping people in the teams upskill, right? So these, there's a number of studies that show that, you know, I think I've read one recently, which said that 94% of people in an organization say that they would stay if the company invested in their upskilling. How have you addressed this at Contentful and how are you doing on this topic at Doodle today? 
First, it is a topic of continuous learning for me as well, right? Because just because it worked in one company, it doesn't mean that it works in another company as well. And again, the thing that I said earlier, a company that has like very stressful times right now because they're losing companies or revenue or are not growing as expected, this point in time is too late to invest into your people because managers and teams are already stretched thin. And then expecting everyone to invest into learning and mentoring and coaching is ridiculous because there's no slot left in your calendar. So how would you want to think about such topics at all? So often when we talk about war for talent and helping internal people to grow, the stressful times is the hardest times to really invest into your people. And it is also the biggest challenge for us as leaders to still make time for this. And it takes a lot of a lot of discipline on our end to make sure that we still make time for it that we're not rushing through each one-on-one -on -one and trying to just get updates but that we still make room for one-on-ones where we talk about future and development and status quo and providing feedback so again it's on us as leaders to make sure that we reflect on whether we are in our stress functions ourselves And if we are to explicitly make time for our people to let them talk about their aspirational goals, about how they feel, about which skills they want to acquire. And one thing that I'm doing is I developed a skill metrics for my product managers based on my own experience and all the frameworks that I used at different companies. And we're using the skill metrics in order to evaluate each product manager's current skill set. And then we're discussing, like, where do you want to go? Do you want to grow into a leadership position? Which might be hard because how many leadership positions do you have in your Not company? Not enough space, right? Yeah. Not enough. So what's the alternative? So we can also assess, like, how, can, how else can you grow? And many product managers, for example, rather want to grow in a more strategic direction or want to learn more about vision. So how can we make sure that there is room in our day-to-day -day business, even if it's not a formal coaching or training? How can I involve my product managers into my day-to-day -day tasks so that they can learn how I approach certain things or how we as a team approach certain things? It's a tough challenge, especially in stressful times. It's easier when you are in your comfort zone as an organization. I would draw a parallel between pair programming and this. I can see how if... This is the end of year and you're doing your planning for next year. And there's this product person in the team that wants to learn about strategy and OKRs and goal setting or whatever. You just onboard this person on the work stream and they help you do the work. And at the same time, they get exposed to some of the work you're doing, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I do right now. Me and my two principal PMs, we do have a bi-weekly session where we randomly pick certain strategic topics, like right now, for example, we're building a jobs to be done framework and we're evaluating the target market. So we're sitting together every other week. We're reviewing the status quo. We discuss why we make certain decisions. We're looking at the competition and market data. And that's nothing that I do all by myself, but I rather rely on my PMs to also be part of that whole thought process because then it's also not me repeating this knowledge over and over again, but it's me and my PMs who can really share the knowledge way faster across the organization that helps them to understand how I approach such topics. 
but it also helps me because I get their view. We can brainstorm together and we can communicate as a bigger group in back into the organization, which is beneficial for all of us. Thank you. You, I'm very happy you mentioned these principal PMs because I have a question about this. Recently, we've been working on building out progression framework for product people. So how do you evolve from associate product manager to senior lead group principal on one track and then on the other track, the leadership track, uh, head of director, VP and chief product officer. One of the questions that came up in, in this work stream, working with different product leaders across Europe is... Building these two tracks, so the individual contributor track and the leadership track, what are some of the main differences you make between a principal BM, for example, and a group product manager? Or how have you envisaged building this role at Doodle? What are some of the characteristics of this principal product manager versus a typical product lead? From my perspective, the principal product manager is the stage between a senior product manager and a head of product management. So it's not necessarily a separate track. It can be one, right? You can also strive as a principal product manager and you can stay in that role for the rest of your life and just enlarge your responsibilities. But from my perspective, there is a massive gap between being a senior product manager and being a leader. And it is so hard to acquire these leadership skills while already getting promoted into a leadership role. For me personally, that was one of the biggest struggles that I thought, wow, I understood the whole space. I know how to build great products. I inherited all of it and now understand how to make it work. And then suddenly I became a leader and I was like, damn, I'm not working hands-on anymore. And still I should make a product successful but I'm not the one executing on it. Like, how can I make that work, right? And that's exactly where this principal product manager role comes in from my perspective, because what we do right now is I upskill my product managers on the strategic and visionary part. We also work together on success metrics and strategic pillars and all of that stuff so that they can start thinking in the bigger picture and they start zooming out while still being hands-on with teams. Then the next level from my perspective is that they start mentoring other PMs. So it allows me to probably even hire very junior associate PMs because suddenly they don't have to report into me or they can report into me, but I do establish a mentorship program so that my future leaders can start mentoring other PMs, which from my perspective is the first step into leadership. So I can coach my principal PMs, they can mentor junior PMs, and it's a win-win situation for the whole organization when it works as expected. The coaches, I think that's, that's really important. And we had this conversation with Marty Kagan from SVPG when we were in London for the coaching the coaches session. And we were talking about the role of product leaders. And we had this discussion around how do you envisage your role and the the time and resource allocation in your role as a product leader. And he mentioned how really a product leader should be investing 80% of their time in coaching, right? And elevating the level of their teams. And I know it's not always easy, right? Because as a product leader, you are, there are also some dimension of 
you having to produce value on your own, be it in board meetings or strategic meetings or presentations to the board or external sales conversations, stuff like that. How do you envisage your role and how are you investing your time today? I would partially agree that it is 80% coaching, as you said, right? That's really challenging because you also need to work on vision and strategy and stuff like that. So that's probably the dream setup. And with that, I fully agree because in my role, I'm delivering the most value when I enable my teams to deliver value because then board meetings are fairly easy because all I need to know is, or all I need to do is I need to let my teams shine, right? I can tell the board like, look, this is what the teams achieve. This is how they measure their success. And all that I have done is I empowered them through freedom, through constraints by setting up the right vision, the right strategy, the right processes and the right roles and responsibilities. All of that is part of the 80% coaching from my perspective, because only if that is done and that's my duty, my teams are empowered, my teams can make great decisions. And then all I have to do is to summarize it and present it. Or even better, it's not me summarizing it, it's my PM summarizing it. And probably even they present it themselves because I do not need to shine, right? It's their work, so they should shine. And how I spend my time right now, I think it goes more or less exactly in that direction. So I try to set up the vision and strategy and processes. We are in a good shape, not completely where I want to be. I think that takes another six to nine In progress, right? It's always, right? Because once you think you are close to the finish line, then something changed and you have to reiterate, right? So it's anyways, ongoing efforts. But I would say if I include this whole work on people, purpose and process into the 80% bucket, I'm close to that. So before we wrap up the show, I'd like to ask you a few questions. This is the treasure chest segment of the show where basically I ask our guests some of the frameworks and resources, tools, things they've used in the past that have helped them significantly in their career to progress. And, and I'd love to hear what has been your experience of resources you might have read, articles, whichever it might be, and how have they actually helped you progress in your role as a product manager and then as a product leader? Let's start with the most helpful resources you've used as a product person to deliver impact for the companies you've worked at, right? Absolutely. I think people probably get a bit tired of that, but for me, it turns out to be true as well that it all starts with Marty Kagan. I had a train. We love Marty. We love Marty. We all love Marty. And my product career even started with Marty because we had a training in my company with Marty Kagan, where I figured out that also I had a completely different title. My role was product management. So he opened my treasure chest for me. So I, for sure, I've read Inspired. I've read from Melissa Perry, How to Escape the Build Trap. I've read Teresa Torres, Continuous Discovery Habits, and also recommend all of my product managers to do so because those are the classics. But what was even more important for me is that as a product manager, no matter how junior or senior or leadership you are, you always need to have a certain set of leadership skills because either you lead teams indirectly, right? There is this power and kind of influence on teams. Also, you are not a official leader. So you need to have leadership skills, even as a junior PM. 
And I had a couple of trainings. So for example, I did situational leadership training, which from my perspective has been the best leadership training I've ever attended. And I also did a coaching certification training and read leadership books, especially recommended five dysfunctions of a team, which for me Great was book one of from the- Patrick Lencioni, amazing book. Amazing, right? Like it's so insightful to understand how can you fix the dynamics of certain teams. And I would say that as a product manager, while it is important to understand all of the dynamics within product, learning very early all about leadership and understanding what your personal leadership style in the future should look like, and then progressing towards that is massively important. Thank you for sharing that. Second question is, what have been the key accelerators in your career in terms of mentorship, training, learning, coaching, or having a specific conversation that was a flipping moment for you? What have been some of these accelerators? I'm a curious person since I was born. So I'm constantly setting goals for myself. And I also have a very clear idea of where I want to be in a couple of years. And based on that, I also know where I am with my skills and where I want to be in a couple of years. So I'm mainly reading books and blog posts, actually. And I'm trying to apply for jobs where I do have leaders that I can learn from. It's challenging to find a leader you can learn from, to be honest. And I managed that three times now in my whole career to really work for inspiring managers. At Doodle, I do. Our CEO definitely is highly inspiring for me. And it was also one of the reasons for me to join Doodle, actually. And if you have that one person that you can learn from and that you can look up to, this, from my perspective, is one of the key drivers for me personally to become a better person, product manager, leader. That's great. Thanks for sharing. And last question, which I personally love because it, I always learn interesting things from this question. What advice would you give your early career self, right? So... Think about you starting in product and all the journey you've been through up to now and the rest of the journey that you're going to have in the future. If you had to give some advice to early product to Stephanie, what would you tell her? I think I would tell her that, Stephanie, you are perfectly right. Stop questioning yourself and trust the process. Just because you are not capable of something yet does not mean that you will never, ever be capable to do that or to achieve it in the future, right? You are working for more than 40, 45, 60 years, best case. So there is plenty of time to acquire all of the skills you need in order to strive. Be patient with yourself. A lot of wisdom and optimism. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really enjoyed our conversation. Good luck with everything you're doing at Doodle. I'm a user of Doodle. Love it. You guys have been doing a great job. Thanks for all your amazing questions and for being such a great host. My pleasure. If you're hearing this, you've listened to this episode all the way. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Also, if you have a minute, please consider giving us a rating as it helps other listeners find the show. You can find all the episodes and resources on panache.io slash podcast. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O slash podcast. Until next time.